0: So this morning, uh, yesterday and this morning, I asked God for a song in my heart that I could meditate on. I want to say a lot of you younger folk might not know this song, but there's some really old great hymns. And the song that he brought to my mind, and I've just been singing it, Inwardly, uh, all morning, the song is "Great is Your Faithfulness." And I'll read the words to it, and then we'll just share some some scriptures, and and we'll we'll see what God has for us this morning. So this is how the song goes: it, "Great is Your faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee." I say you, <laughs> I don't do the those, these, and those, but you change not your compassions, they fail not as you have been you will be, you forever will be great is your faithfulness great is your faithfulness morning by morning new mercies I see all I have needed your hand has provided great is your faithfulness Lord unto me Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to your great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Your own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with 10,000 besides it's an old song and a hymn and uh, we used to sing that and uh, just chock full of meaning and so that's the the theme that was on my heart and god put that on my heart we heard about um god's i heard just, uh, just in the two men that just shared the word, I heard the faithfulness of God coming out of them. And I see it in every one of us here. I see his faithfulness in all those things that we go through. For instance, in Isaiah, 43, uh, for Isaiah 54 and verse 17, it says, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. It's not going to last and every tongue that will rise against you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And so what a tremendous thing that is when we consider that all that has to do with is his faithfulness. And something that, again, in Isaiah 59 Verse 19, it says, So they will reverence your name, your nature, and what, who you are and what you've accomplished. They will reverence the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun in the east, obviously, when the enemy will come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Notice that? Always. Always does. And so this is what makes it so very important. And we're going to get into this possibly tomorrow and through the week, a deeper understanding and a deeper counsel from God about the yoke too, about yokes. It's very necessary, especially for young men and women To remember, it says, and that's what he's preparing us for in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1, and it's very interesting the way it correlates, but it says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, while the evil days have not come. Well, they haven't come yet. He's preparing us for them. Nor the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And so it's very necessary for us to, to take that yoke. And we're going to see how this works. How when Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, when he said in eleven twenty eight, come unto me all you that labor, because all do. A saved and unsaved. Those that aren't Christ and those that are Christ, they all labor. But we have him to come to whenever we, desire and his desire is that we should continually come he has to bring us to a place where we desire to constantly come <laughs> and so Matthew 11 verse 28 come unto me all you that labor we all labor and though and then what heavy laden and what is the answer for both? What is the answer and I will give you what rest. But you have to take the yoke. You have to take a yoke. You have to take the yoke. And that's always the lesson that we're learning. It doesn't matter the circumstance, the situation, the trial. It doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. What matters is is do we choose to yoke up with him or do we face it alone? We have to have a yoke. Take my yoke. And that means he's personally designed a specific yoke for each specific person having in his eternal mind before any of us were ever born his plan through his word, through his will to meet his desire for us that will not only see us through but have him to fellowship with right in the midst of it. So It says, take my yoke, because if we don't, do we learn of him? Without a yoke, what do we learn? The enemy's going to constantly teach us who we are in the flesh still. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and then what? I will what? Give you, that's always grace, rest. For my yoke is what? Now, when it says my yoke, that means he's got a yoke for you specifically designed. For you. That's his. when it says my yoke. And that my yoke there has to do with his deep love, deep desire for intimacy with you. And he has it specifically designed for you and I. Specifically. But it is also a testimony to all of us. Not only that, It's that that the angels, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 12, the B part of that verse, they bend low and look in and learn of their creator, the unfallen angels, learn of their creator's nature, character, and essence through you and I. Because soon, someday, soon, soon, in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3, we're going to rule and reign with him over all his creation, including the angels. We're going to rule and reign over them. And we're going to do so, and, we're, and he's preparing us with eternal life that he's given us in time. He's given us that, so that when we are betrothed to him and we are married to him and, and, and now, because he is our bridegroom, and, and we are his bride, And then when we get there, we're going to be married to him forever. This is what the yoke is preparing us for. And it it is. So what we go through in time, again, Romans 8.18, For I reckon, I count it all up. That's what it's saying in the Greek. The Greek word is logizomai, or logizomai, proper pronunciation. It literally means, I want you to count it all up. Count it all up. Count up every single thing you've ever been through, count it all up and see if it's worthy. See if it's worthy to be compared to the glory, it says, that will be revealed in you and on you and all over you. And and, uh, again, in in Romans 8 and verse 17, it's what it says. The glory that will be revealed in us and that glory is in each vessel Christ in you. The guarantee of glory. See, you're going to yoke up with eternal guarantees when you yoke up with him. Colossians 1 and verse 27, Christ in you, the hope, the guarantee of glory. But while we are on our way to, to be glorified and to receive our glorified bodies in Philippians three twenty and 21, as we get ready to have our glorified bodies, to prepare us for all eternity. We have him right now to yoke up with. While we wait, he waits with us, (laughs) never alone. What are we yoking up to? We're yoking up to him. And what we're yoking up to, again, here, when we look at this, and when we understand these particular verses, we're, we're yoking up to him. Christ. And that means this simply, remains this way, that the words, the words of the wise, those words that God has for us, in our circumstance and situations, they're goads. And a goad is what they would use with the oxen. It's a pointed thing. And it would steer them to go in a way that would be contrary to their nature. To their own way, and he's constantly staring us, constantly, and revealing, yes, we have a need, we do, we do, we have a need, but God has provided that need through his glory his riches and glory by Christ Jesus in Philippians 4 and verse 19. Did you ever say to God when you're in the midst of your circumstances and situations, when you're in the midst of trials, did you ever say to God, I can't do it? I just can't do it anymore. We never will say that if we're yoked up because Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things. How? Through Christ, which makes me Mighty which gives me the strength and power of his grace. And so what that simply means is, is that without that yoke, without us being yoked up to him, what can we do? In John 15, verse 5, what can we do without him? We can do nothing without him. That's the constant lesson. It is. It's a constant lesson, that he's, and, and he's teaching us. And training us. You know, everything about in time is he's uh, teaching us and training us to reign with him, preparing us to reign with him for all eternity. Is it worth it in time? What what are we going to compare with what we go through with sufferings? And again, those are all measured out by his love. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. They're all measured. The afflictions are measured. But and they're only measured by God's anticipative love and his prevenient grace, but that love he doesn't want it only to be anticipated on his part. He doesn't and he, and he, but he wants that love through that grace, to flow in me as an individual so I have fellowship with him. Because without that exchange of love, is there a proper relationship? Is there proper intimacy? Is there fellowship? Because without love, I am what? Nothing. That's what the enemy wants to convince us. See, Without love, I am nothing. That's what makes the yoke necessary. But what are we yoking up? Who are we yoking up to? It's Christ. And what do we experience? One individual this morning shared about the waters that are rising. The waters that are rising instantly. Instantly, God brought to my mind these scriptures. Instantly. And this is what the enemy designs to be for waters. The waters of impossibility. The waters of things are not going to change the waters that say, what's the point? <laughs> well, the waters here are brought out as we can understand in those verses that we gave. Isaiah 54 and verse 17 and Isaiah 55 and verse 19. Yes, he was speaking to the nation of Israel, but we glean from those things because is he any less faithful to us? No. God, we'll see this this morning, God is not only faithful to us he is nothing but faithfulness nothing but faithfulness he's faithfulness to himself because he's invested himself in us through giving us the son and we experience it by the power of the holy spirit so when i yoke up with christ that allows the Holy Spirit now to bring in the things that are mind in Christ. In John 16, 13, and 14, it's my only means of guidance. I have to have that yoke. I have to have it. I must constantly be restrained. You and I, we must constantly be restrained. Because the enemy constantly after us. How does he restrain us? Through this yoke. And what the yoke that I experience is the constraint of his love. And 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. Here is Ezekiel 47, verse 1. It says, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. There's waters coming in. There's waters. They may be, we think at times, the waters of the enemy to swallow us up, to drown us with our circumstances, situations, to drown us with these false reasonings, these lies, these thought projections in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. But notice where they they are issued from. They're issued from what? They're issued eastward. And God always, and will only allow those waters that the enemy means for evil, to show us that we can't do anything without him. We submit to him and we experience Resurrection life. Because the sun always rises, what? From the east. It's resurrection life that we experience. Right in the midst of the worst that the enemy could do to us. Right in the midst. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18. He said, and upon this rock, I, himself, I, Petra, Petra, massive ledge, foundational truth, upon this rock, I will build my church. And then it says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Did you hear that? We make up the church, did you know? And all the marshaled satanic army against us, against us, will not prevail. Try as they might. Bring in the waters. So the waters came out from under the right side. Do you see what that's saying? That anything that's, uh, that's allowed of the enemy for the believer has to get God's permission because there's a blessing in it. Isaiah 45 and verse 3, I will give them the treasures of darkness. You know, there's only there's certain treasures that can only be found in, in darkness. Did you know that? The darkness of his absence, physical right now. Physical. But having not seen him, which was brought up in 1 Peter 1, we love him. He doesn't have to prove it constantly. He doesn't have to prove it. We're yoked up to him. We're not far from him. We're very near him. We're the enemy in James 4, 6, and 7, cannot touch us in our experience, just like he cannot touch our unassailable, immutable, unchangeable position that's ours in Christ. And notice, it issued down from under the right side, and the right side is where we are in Christ. God approves. Did you see the book of Job? Have you read it? Do we we remember what God has taught us, all of us, about that? That through that whole thing, there wasn't a thing that Satan could do and be allowed to do that wasn't under God's control, that wasn't under him. And God will use the enemy to reduce us from relying on the flesh. To see that we have a need, we cannot meet it. Not one meet we cannot meet it. If you don't have enough air, will you die? You don't have enough water, will you die? Yes, the waters issued down from under the right side. It says here in ezekiel forty seven verse one of the house at the south side of the altar. Then he brought me It's very interesting. He brought me. Do you know what that God's doing? He has to bring you and I just like he has he had to bring Peter. Do you remember what he told him and 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 John 21, 15 to 17, he gave him this great commission. Peter, but before you experience that, (coughs) excuse me, Peter, what you're going to have to understand is this, that Satan has desired you. Now, what it says in the original is, he has begged my permission and gotten it, that he may put you in his sieve and violently shake you. But, but, not apart from that. But I have prayed for you. Did you know that? He's interceding for us. In Romans 8, verse 34. Mm-hmm. In Hebrews 7, verse 25. In Hebrews 9, and verse 24. He's at, he ever lives to make intercession for it. Meaning he's ever living right now. Your living Savior right now is praying for you. Interceding for you. You're not alone. As much as the enemy might want to convince you of that. Because he said in Hebrews 13, 5, with a triple salutation in the original, I'll never, no never, not in any way ever leave you nor forsake you, ever. Everything had to go through God's permission that the enemy wanted to use against Job. Because all God wanted to do was get him to the end of himself so that God could, everything that he thought that he may have lost, that God could bring him to a place where he would... Stop living in fleshly self-righteousness like Job was doing and stop justifying himself, making excuses for why we don't believe, why we don't trust, and thereby justifying himself and not God. And this is brought out in Job 32, 1 and 2. God allows all of that because he wants to bring back a double blessing to Job. You know what that means. Not only supply him and fill up his cup and his capacity in Psalm 23, verse 5, to overflowing, but that it overflows to others for God's glory. So that all things that are for our sake, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many, that's the overflow. He's not just doing something in your life, although that's first and foremost, he's doing it in you and for you for others. He's preparing us. Plus, he's preparing us for a heavenly choir, we know in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. Notice it says, then he brought me. He he, he, three times he repeated to Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Three different times. Because he was answering what Peter said in his fleshly trust. In John 13, 38, 36 to 38, he said, you will deny me before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me three times (laughs) because you're functioning in the flesh. But I've prayed for you, Peter, not that you wouldn't fail, but that your faith would not fail. And when you're strengthened, listen, when you yourself are strengthened in every area continually, then you'll strengthen others, the brethren. That's what he's preparing us for. He's preparing us for that. So then we could see this. That's, and then he said to Peter in John 21 and verse 18, I'm going to carry you to a place where you wouldn't even go. That doesn't mean only the hard places. That means to a life of abundance that we can't even imagine. Because that's he's preparing us for it and giving us abundance in time. But what is eternity going to be like? Because if we suffer with him, in 2 Timothy 2, 12, we will reign with him. Yes. Why do we think it's strange, these fiery trials that try us, like it's some strange thing that shouldn't happen to us? In 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. Well, Ezekiel 47, verse 2, it says, Then he brought me. That's right. Every step he's got to bring us. Every single step. Then he brought me out of the way of the gate northward where he's ruling. You'll see that in Psalm 75, 6 and 7. You will see that. For promotion, it doesn't come from the east or the west or from the south. He puts down one and and rises up or promotes another because he's north. He rules above everyone in his sovereignty. Here it says, he brought me... Out of the way of the gate northward and led me we ha- do we have to be led? Can he lead us without a yoke? He won't, he can't. It, it means our will must submit to his. He led me about the way without unto the utter gate, by the way that looked eastward. Where's he always keeping our view? It's eastward, it's heavenly, not on things on the earth not on these things on the earth, but our views to be heavenly, eastward, resurrection, life in us. And that's brought out in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, based upon the fourth verse in the the third chapter of Colossians. Here, he says, there, the way that looks eastward, we're to look away, in Hebrews 12, 2, from all that would distract. Stop looking to it. This person, that person, this trial, that trial, this negative thing, that ne- look away from it. It's a choice. You say, "I can't." Oh, yes, we can. We can submit our will, looking away from all that would distract unto Jesus. Otherwise, you try to carry a burden, that, and when you try to do it on your own, ultimately it's going to lead to sin, back to those old ways again. In Proverbs twenty-six, eleven, and we see it very clearly in in. Uh, I believe it's the first or second Peter 2.22. The dog returning, 2.22 of 2 Peter, to its vomit. When we don't go forward, the enemy tempts us and tries to stop us from going forward. What's the only thing we can do? Just go back. The very thing that we hated, the very thing that kept us in bondage, slaves to sin, in John 8, verse 34, instead of being captured, prisoners of his love in Ephesians 3, 1, and Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Those waters, he was to behold, there ran out waters from the right side. Where we are approved in Christ. In Revelations 1 and verse 20 and all the way down through in those first three chapters, we see that it's on the right side. Christ is seated at the right side. Are the Father's approval and complete satisfaction and overwhelming joy that we're to experience in Romans five eleven, but that we have because we're in Christ at the right hand, the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured. A 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. Did we hear that? Maybe I can't measure it. Maybe I don't know the depth of what I'm going through, but he does, and his love has measured it. He measured it because the man measured it like only he could, our precious Savior. He measured it, 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. Notice that? He did. All that was coming against me, remember? No weapon that's formed against you will prosper. And every tongue from the lying enemy in John 8, verse 44, every tongue that rises against me, he'll condemn. He'll do it because our righteousness is of him. And that's what's on trial. Did you know we wouldn't even have a trial if Christ wasn't in us and we were in him? Never. We wouldn't even have one. He measured it. He measured it. And the waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. Did he? Is he? Is he going to leave us and forsake us? Will he? He brought me through the waters and the waters were to the knees. And he measured a thousand again. Notice everything is measured. How does he measure it? By his love and his wisdom. You need wisdom. Well, then ask of God in James 1, 5. And humble yourself. Humble yourself in his sight. And when you do, he'll exalt you. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, he will. He will. And then you can cast all your anxiety, all your care upon him. Because when you do, you realize he does care for you. Because if you don't, you have an enemy, the adversary, who walks about seeking whom he may slaughter with thought projections and lies to wear out the saints, in Daniel 7, verse 25. He speaks great words against the Most High. To wear out the saints. To wear them out. To wear them out. Again, he measured a thousand and brought, brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand. And it was a river that I could not pass over. I don't know, when he led the Israelites, 2.4 million men, never mind women and children, 2.4 million out of the second generation because the first generation there, only two went in. Thousands, Thousands, millions went, but they weren't of the first generation because they doubted, disbelieved, tempted God constantly. It was only Joshua and Caleb in Numbers, the 13th chapter, that were of the old generation that went in. That went in. Again, they could not pass over because it was a a, a river that they could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. And now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river There were many trees on either side. On one side and the other. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country. (laughs) Out towards the east country. You see what this is teaching us? That no no matter what the enemy is trying to do against us, God is using it to teach us that he will carry me through. Because he's the only way, only way that that will happen. And then it says, he says, go down into the desert. Go down into that desert, you see, that plain. And go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters will be healed. He's going to bring in the healing that he's healed me with and bring me into the sea of a multitude of others so that they too can be healed. They too. Do you see, so what what do we yoke up to? I'll tell you what we yoke up to. He who is faithfulness. I'll just close it with just reading these few scriptures here in Lamentations, the third chapter, and they're called Lamentations for a reason. (laughs) They were lamenting certain things. But here in Lamentations, verse three, and verse 19, well, in verse 18 it says this, and I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul has them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Do you see what God's going to do? He's, he's going to, what the enemy means for evil, going means for good to humble us, to bring us to a place where his grace is we are now in a place where we can receive that grace to make the adjustments that we need to make. And so, my soul has them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall now to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. And here it is. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. He's my portion. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, that trust him and wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord, quietly wait for him to do what only he can do. It is good Lamentations three twenty It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth, that he bear it, to hope and quietly wait because the yoke is needed. The yoke is needed for us. And what do we yoke up to? And when, when we do, and when we yoke up to Christ, we yoke up to the very manifestation and revelation of God's faithfulness in us as his vessels. We are not our own, we are His. And finally here, we will read this one in Revelations 21. And in Revelations 21, it says this. Well, look at 21, Revelations 21, verse 1. It says, and I saw a new heaven. This is based upon Second Peter 3, 10 to 13. Isaiah 65 and verse 17 in Isaiah 66 and verse 22 there's going to be a brand new earth and heaven for us to rule and reign for all eternity being prepared for us like in, when he f- created the first adam he had to recreate the earth and prepare it for that first adam who failed but the one that's is the second adam our lord and savior in 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter and verses 40 to 47 and 49 he never fails he never fails. I saw a new heaven and a new, new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away in terms of their changing by the way, they're changing because they they don't pass away in that sense in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 4. The earth doesn't pass away it remains forever, it's just going to change in its form in Revel in, in Ephesians 3 and verse 21 also And there was no more, passed away, there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We're going to rule and reign with him on the earth. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he'll be their God And the finality. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 26 to 28. The last enemy that will be destroyed will be death. It's going to be destroyed. Then Christ, after he rules and reigns and deals with every enemy, then he himself with us will submit to God so that God may be all. That's First Corinthians 15 and 28. In verse 4, it says this, And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. it will be the answer to every single why, every single question. And there will be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, nor will there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat, and we're sitting with him right now, positionally, in a place of rest, that's our proper place, by the way, and one of rest, not disturbance. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And we're already new in him in Second Corinthians 5 and 17. Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, and he's saying it unto each of us this morning, Write, for these words are true and filled up with faithfulness. They're true and they're faithful. And then he said it again in 22, and verse 6, when we get just a picture of heaven on earth. And that's what we're picturing in Revelations 22. And then he said in 22, and verse 6, he said unto me, these sayings are faithfulness and truth. And the Lord God of the holy prophet sent his angel, his messenger, to show unto his servant the things which must be done, shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. And if, and if he's not coming for us in the rapture, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, many of us are already gone home to be with him, many of our loved ones. But it's quickly. What is time, the space of time, average lifespan, Psalm 90, verse 10, 70 and 80? That's the average And then we are soon cut off and we fly away to him face to face. What is that amount of time compared with eternity? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. And like that beautiful hymn, great is your faithfulness, Lord. You are faithfulness. Christ is faithfulness. God the Holy Spirit is faithfulness. The Word is nothing but faithfulness. And you're preparing us for a great meeting. But in the meantime, you have to carry us because we cannot walk this earth alone. The only way that we walk as strangers and pilgrims in 1 Peter 2.11 has to do with your footsteps that you've walked for each and every one of us. In 1 Peter 2.21, you count all those steps in Job 31 and verse 4. The steps of a man are ordained of the Lord in Psalm 37 and verse 23. And you know, I've been young And I've been old, but I've never seen his seed begging for bread, ever. And verse 25. And Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. It's so great. Through our laughter, through our tears, great is your faithfulness. And you even express it through the language of tears. Father, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.